This episode is brought to you by Murrinjai Water Drilling, a family-owned and operated team of fully licensed, insured and experienced drillers in the construction, mining and water services. They are licensed to drill and service in Queensland, the Northern Territory and Western Australia. They ensure all water bores are installed correctly and professionally first time, every time. Learn more at murrinjaiwaterdrilling.com.au or find them on Facebook. Listening to the Central Station Podcast, where we bring you true stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. This podcast is brought to you by Ariat Australia, the perfect choice for the tough jobs. Ariat boots and clothing work hard, look good, and are so comfortable there's never a need to slow down. Visit ariat.com.au today. Warning, this episode discusses suicide and may be triggering for some people, so it may be best to listen in the company of support. If you are experiencing depression or a suicidal, or know someone who is, help is available. Please see the show notes for this episode for links to a number of support services. Veterinarians are one of the most loved professionals in Australia. They're the superhumans who keep our best mates and fur babies healthy, and step up to save them if the unbearable occurs. So, Why is it that veterinarians have almost four times the suicide rate of the Australian population? This equates to a veterinarian taking their own life on average every 12 weeks in Australia. In this episode, Dr. Campbell Costello, who you remember from last week's episode, discusses his perspective on the retention, remuneration and mental health crises plaguing the Australian veterinary industry. Make sure you stick around as Cozzy also shares insights into the major biosecurity threats Australia is currently facing and why we need our vets now more than ever. Cozzy, welcome back to the podcast. Hello again. <laughs> See, this time when you say hello again, you can actually mean it. I can mean it, yeah. third time's a charm. Lightning struck three times. What can I say? The people just can't get enough of you and... You are still staying at my house, so no Harvest choice. while it's sunny. Harvest while it's sunny. Ah, I haven't heard. I've heard you've got to make hay while the sun shines, yep. but I guess. Boil it down, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel, I'm not going to lie, I feel like got to make hay while the sun shines. It has a bit more of a ring to it than harvest while it's sunny. Yeah, true, true. Uh, us North Queenslanders, yeah, no culture of finesse at all. Two minutes into the podcast and I'm already taking you down a peg. No, nah, that's all right, I need it. So, in this episode, we are going to be talking about the issues in the vet industry in Australia, mm-hmm. which doesn't actually sound very sexy when you say it like that or when I say it like that, but mm. um, not that I guess an issue is sexy, but you know, got that a kind of appealing kind of clickbait thing about it, but it's actually some really important stuff um, 
just as a snapshot before we get into it, do you want to just kind of give us in a nutshell what some of these issues are? Um, so some of the issues the veterinary industry is facing in Australia is um, we can't retain vets. Uh, statistically, most vets only last about two to three years after graduation. They burn out and they leave or they vote with their feet and go elsewhere. Uh, we, um, the remuneration is horrible. I think a lot of people misinterpret, you know, veterinary bills and go, oh, wow, they're really expensive. You must be just taking the mick and, and charging whatever. Um, unfortunately, you know, without any subsidised healthcare like our human sector, uh, aka Medicare, you know, our drugs, our surgical implants, everything, our wages, our rent, it's all, it's all private enterprise. There's not a single thing that's subsidised. You know, I talk to people and go, when was the last time you saw a dentist? Oh, I haven't been able to afford it for a long while. And that's because dental isn't, isn't on Medicare and neither's, and neither's vet. So, um, I know when I uh, graduated uni, I was on about $39,000, $40,000 a year. Um, a couple of years out, I ballooned out about 56 grand a year. Um, and on average, most vets, until you buy a business, um, you're probably on about 62 to 67. But buying into a business now is incredibly, Difficult because um, how are you going to save much when you're paying for your rent and your expenses on that kind of wage to build up the capital to buy into a business, especially when there's big corporates buying them as well. And the added frustration we have is uh, is student debt. So just um, a university, uh, a veterinary degree now, just your student debt, so your hex debt, uh, is in the ballpark of eighty to $100,000 that you pay off. And that doesn't include your rent and your living expenses of the five to seven years that you are below the poverty line as a student. I feel like it's going to be quite difficult to pull all these issues apart and kind of discuss them separately because they're also intertwined. Like you, you just started off with retainment and yeah. the industry is unable to retain vets. Uh, then you kind of went into salary. Obviously, that's got to be a big part about why people can't retain or why vets aren't being retained. But then I know there's a lot of mental health issues as well yeah. and the stress of the job yeah. and that all everything's just so intertwined. It's not like these cut and dry separate issues. I, I, I agree with you 100% and, you know, you, you've sort of segued into the, the big and final one is, uh, is the mental health. Uh, you know, vets are – the highest suicide rate in the world at the moment. We are four times more higher than um, than your average Australian to take our life, and we're double that of uh, doctors and dentists. You know the the saying I always hear is, "Oh, I thought dentists were the highest." No, nah, vets are vets are the highest. We we are double we are double doctors and dentists now. So um, yeah, it's uh, yeah it's a pretty sobering statistic, and it's weirdly enough something that's being reflected in Australia. Uh, but in the United Kingdom, the United States, and uh, and other developed countries as well, it's uh, just something in veterinary veterinary medicine that's um, yeah, we're all just getting flogged. Oh, so sorry, it is also being replicated in yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, okay. Yep, yep. What? Um, sorry to to get off track for a moment there, but I was really surprised when you just said that you thought dentists were the highest. I would never have a thought of a dentist. You know, I can think maybe an ED doctor or a, a pediatric doctor or a vet, you know, somebody dealing with like life and death and those very, you know, you know, especially with children or animals. Mm, yeah. But I never would have imagined a dentist. Yeah, dentists were dominating it there for a bit. I can't actually say when. I remember hearing that um, that sort of, you know, that that stands are over a beer at the pub or or chat over coffee, you know. Oh yeah, dentists really high, but um, yeah, no, vets are the highest ones. And you know, like um, I've dated a doctor. I've got many uh, many friends that um, were in the medicine sector, uh, family members. Um, you know, I know they've had a problem with uh, with young doctors and retaining them, and, and the suicide being pretty high. Um, I think the difference is, though, you know, 
veterinary medicine, I'm on call during the night and I'm on call and then I've got to go and work during the day. You know, the human sector in most areas, I know some regional centres, you know, the stuff, they get flogged. But, um, uh, you know, you've got a night shift and you've got a day shift, you've got a weekend shift, you know, you do your swings, you do your days on and your days off. You get a bit of, a bit of time to decompress. I've definitely found it myself as a vet. Um, you're at the coalface sort of 24-7 and, uh, yeah, it's a slippery slope to walk and before you know it, you're... Um, you're, uh, yeah, you can get, you can get consumed by it. And unfortunately, sort of every eight to 12 weeks, you know, we, I, I lose another colleague, um, taking their own life. And, uh, yeah, it's something that, um, it saddens me, but, um, it's sort of something I'm quite passionate about as advocating for, you know, biggest thing is awareness and, and hopefully change. So I'll be honest, I don't even know where to start in this conversation. Like <laughs> yeah. we've got retainment, salary, mental health, um, I mean, they're all intertwined. Where do we, where do we start? Um, I don't know. It, it is a, it is a big, um, you know, it's like trying to un, untangle 50 meters of extension cord that have been rolling in the back and in, in the back of a Christmas know, like, tree lights. Exactly. Yeah. They got, you know, put in a box and just rattled around for 30 years. Uh, you know, I, I think we're dealing, you know, with a, with a myriad of, of issues there. Um, I don't know. I think it's, you know, it's interesting. All right, let's uh, let's go take two uh, take in case three. in case anybody else heard that. That was the uh, <laughs> the washing machine beeping in the background because somebody put on a load of washing before our podcast and didn't hang out his clothes. Those goddamn dogs, oh, They're buggers, yeah, bloody Henry. rats! I oh, tell you, I tell you, we are the worst. Anyway, um, uh, not to. But uh, no, what we were saying, uh, yeah. Look, there's a myriad of uh, of reasons that's going on. I, I think I speak from experience. Um, and and sort of, you know, regurgitating what I hear time and time again from a lot of my colleagues is, uh, you know, a lot of, I think society's we're a little bit outdated with with where the hierarchy is of certain occupations and and a reflection on income and their their sort of respect or, or you know the constitution of it in in society. You know, like oh well, the old doctors and dentists and the de- the, the the vets they're all the blue bloods, you know, and they're the, they're the big money makers. I think we've seen a massive shift where. You know, someone will, you know, have those sort of proxies instilled in their brain and, and they come into a, a clinic and, you know, I charge a vaccine, a few medicines. Yeah, it can be a couple hundred bucks, but, you know, um, we don't have a, a Medicare system. And, and as Australians, we've been very privileged to not have to pay for, um, for, you know, that service. You know, the raw flying doctor, if you had to pay for a Pilatus PC 12 or a twin engine King Air aircraft to come and get you, be tens of thousands of dollars just in the jet fuel, let alone paying the doctor, the dentist. You know, like I've looked in those aircraft, that that resuscitation gear, and you know all the all the monitoring equipment and drugs. Like it, it's ex, it's just unbelievable and expense. But philanthropy and um, and uh, a lot of funding allows that to be accessed by by all Australians, and I'm very proud of that. Um, but when you come down the vet, that that just doesn't exist. And you know, maybe we've got to think of better ways to to get that sorted. Or is the taxpayer prepared to go? Hey, I'm going to you're going to take a chunk out of my living wage, so that you know your your pet or a privilege can get spayed and free medicine. I, I'm not sure if that's 
what the Australian public want, well, you know, we can do that. But if not, you know, just making sure you do your due diligence because, you know, I think, you know, when we look at what people earn in mines or working on the railway or, and certain other professions, I can tell you now that, you know, veterinary science and a lot of other, you know, highly regarded degrees are, are well under that in the remuneration um, bracket. And let me be clear, I'm not throwing shade at, at any of these professions for doing well and getting remunerated, but I think it's a little bit unfair to go, oh, you know, bloody rich vet charging what he wants when, when we're just private enterprise doing what we want. And, you know, setting those expectations so that if I've had a hard day of, you know, long days of surgery, you know, animals dying, dealing with people's grief, um, mental anguishes, you know, not having someone having a dig or, or abusing us in the consult, you know, your, your unkind words or sly double, sort of pronged comments, you know, that might be the breaking point for someone that leads them to another suicide every 12 weeks, you know, and and I really plead with the public to, you know, just go easy on us um, because, yeah, there's there's not many of us left. Um, I think, you know, the, the cost of these degrees is exorbitant as well. We don't have free university like we did in the 70s and 80s. Um, you know, so we, we may have to start looking at that because, yeah, that's a, that's a hefty debt to have to pay um, as, as soon as you step out into employment. Um, and, you know, we probably haven't had a, an investment in, in veterinary science since, you know, the old B-Tech days. You know, like I, I fly, you know, being a flying vet, you poke around, you know, the top end and, and really isolated areas of Australia. You'll see old yards and, you know, trucking routes and airstrips, you know, from the B-Tech days. You know, what a massive amounts of infrastructure and investment out in the bush. And we probably haven't seen that in about 30, 40 years. Um, so yeah, that, that, you know, that can really make veterinary science, you know, a bit, bit difficult to, uh, to be profitable. Um, I think as vets as well, you know, we've got to have a good, hard, long yarn with ourselves as well and go, you know, if you're a vet out there and, and you're, you know, under, undercutting someone to get people on the books or you're slandering someone behind their back or, you know, you're not one of the people that want to congeal and change these really, really nasty statistics of suicide and burnout. Um, I don't know if I want to have you in the profession anymore because we, we really need to change this because, you know, the rate we're going, there's going to be, there's not going to be many of us left. And we're already, you know, this was a problem. You know, I know a lot of professions have struggled to get employees during COVID, but this has been a problem in veterinary science well before then. You know, I started studying that 17 years ago. I graduated 12 years ago. We were talking about this then, and it ha- and I, I'm sick of having the narrative. It is still going and going and going. So, but you know, simple little interactions that you and I and our listeners are having. You know, hopefully that can pave the way for great change going forward. So, one vet in Australia, one vet is taking their life every 12 weeks. Every 12 weeks. Yep. What is it about being a vet that is, I guess, that is causing this or leading to this to happen? I think, you know, if we set an aptitude chest, we're, we're, we're empathetic people, you know, we, we do give our all and, you know, I might be a jaded old, you know, seniorish vet of 12 years, you know, I, I had a patient die today and uh, it just got me, you know, he's just like, ah, oh, shit, that really, you know, it's like playing rugby and you get those those players that just come in your blind spot and they get horizontal on your rib cage and knock the wind out of you. You do get it. And, you know, and then you've got someone pacing out the front that's, you know, oh, well, I, I you know, that's bloody five, ten minutes late and all these charges and this and that. And you're just like, I haven't had any time to decompress. So you're in there and you bang, bang. And then, you know, you finish a big day of work and all your mates go down to the pub and have a beer and you're like, I've got the on-call phone. <laughs> you know, if you run over old Fluffy or, or, or Mittens tonight... 
I'll, I'll, I'll have to man the phone. And, and we can get woken up all night and unless something comes in, we don't get paid. So I might take several calls throughout the evening, have a horrible sleep. I, I don't make it a, a single a single dime out of that. So it's near on pro bono. I think the award rate for a veterinarian now to do a night on call is thirty eight dollars, not an hour, but an entire evening. Are you kidding me? Thirty eight bucks for the for an entire and 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 I and I'll go into bat now even for our veterinary nurses. They even get paid less than that. Yeah, like you know eighteen twenty two. But it's almost like. You know, I, you'd almost rather get paid nothing because you're like, oh, wow, well, I'm quantified. An entire night's work, 22 bucks. It's like a bit of a middle finger. So, how is that? I mean, <laughs> I know so many people, we joke about how our animals choose to get sick after five yeah. o'clock on a weekday or between mm. five o'clock on a Friday afternoon and eight or nine o'clock on a Monday morning yeah. yep. because that's when you, if you go to the vets, it's going to be, you know, twice the price or, yeah. you know, you got my, the call ho- FA, yep. my horse only ever got colic on a weekend, yeah, you know, in the after the hours. Yep. How is it that you are on call? Like since you've been staying at my house here, you've been on call a couple of times and that, yeah, you're taking, you're taking calls and consults and, mm. and that you're not, yeah, you don't you don't get remunerated. We'll get paid. We'll get a professional fee if the um if the animal comes in and the if the owner doesn't pay their bill, um you will not get you will not get remunerated for that. So you know if someone if someone bounces out in their bill, I, I won't get a single dime out of that. So you know and, and and that's a really difficult thing. Like even this patient I had today that died, I had to give the guy a bill for what we'd already done. And it wasn't cheap. And, you know, I've got a mortgage and, and repayments on a house and, and, and vehicles to make. And you're like, uh, you know, you feel really torn. And yeah, it can really, it can really, um, get to, you know, those long hours. And, you know, some of my mates that have gone and done their stint in the mines or, or, or done other things, you know, they've got a house, they've got a car, they've got some savings. So I'm sitting there sort of going, Jesus, I feel like I've gone the rounds with Muhammad Ali, had the living piss knocked out of me. I don't really know what I have to show for it, you know, so. Yeah, you sort of feel a bit trapped. Um, you know, everyone goes, oh, it must be the euthanasias and, and the death. And uh, they kind of get to you. Um, I kind of feel that it's a blessing in some ways, though, because I'm constantly reminded just how, you know, uh, fragile life is. Um, you know, so many people go through their professional per- or personal lives without seeing death. And then all of a sudden it just whacks them one and, you know, or, yeah, it just, you know, it does give you the gift of perspective. But I have been punched, uh, physically assaulted, spat at, verbally assaulted, um, you know, in my workplace several times. You know, my profession is predominantly female now, 85 90%, and girls on call getting jammed against the wall and, and slapped and bashed and, and just abused and... You're just like, yeah, most they, they vote with their feet. Like most of my friends have gone, I'm going to go do audiology or I'm going to go drive a truck in the mine. I make three times the wage as a mine job. Don't have to kill anyone's dog. I don't have to put anything down. I don't have to cop anyone's shit. So, um, you know, we're sort of, yeah, people are starting to vote with their feet on that and, and really leave. So, you know, you've got all that, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, your personal life can take a real, a real hit. Uh, you know, like trying to juggle a relationship. Oh, honey, you know, we booked in for dinner. Ah, oh, shit, sorry, I had this surgery that came in and it took too long. Or oh, I got a horse's calling in the middle of the night. I'm gonna have to call it off. Or seeing, you know, not being able to play sport and be with your friends. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, it's a really. It's a really difficult one, and I and there's a few things I know the answer on, and I and I don't. But yeah, just all snowballs, and um, yeah, it just becomes a, a really big problem. You know, this might be 
I think the thing that saddens me the most is, um, you know, uh, we probably haven't spoken about it yet, uh, you know, uh, but, but for the listeners, you know, my family, we've got cattle staged up at Charter's Tears and just under three years ago, dad and mum went mastering one day and, uh, yeah, the dad stomped, uh, the horse stomped on my father and drowned him, killed him. They just went out to do something dead, couldn't, you know, and, you know, my family had to go through and myself, you know, grief and we still do, you know, my father getting killed. And that was an accident that was, you know, Jesus going out like that. It's almost, it's, it's unpredictable. It's, it's just, there was nothing you could do about it. I think what saddens me is every eight to twelve weeks, um, I know there's another family going through exactly that. Just because we couldn't pay people better, uh, give them more time off, or you know, there just wasn't people constantly hanging shit on us or, or throwing shit. I don't know how many times I've been in a consult or out preg testing, and someone goes, "Oh, yeah, bloody vet fees," and I'm like, "Well, mate, like it's private enterprise, it's capitalism. You know, I, I, I don't know how to make a living if I don't charge appropriately, and you know, the tradie can." the truck driver again but the vet can't it's almost like you're not allowed to and i'm like i don't know which barrel of money that we're we're getting it from and yeah it's it's a really tricky one what is it i suppose that is different between being a vet and being a doctor in terms of why like what what is it about being a vet though that is really i guess uh exacerbating and um contributing to mental health issues and and resulting in suicides that I suppose we're not seeing or perhaps we are but not at at, at the same rate in in human medical doctors um I, we don't have the investment you know once again there's no there's no medicare or stuff going into our sector number 2 i think you know the old guard of vets have done some really great things don't get me wrong and pave the way for stuff, you know, like they, you know, we got rid of brucellosis and tuberculosis in Australia, massive diseases that have helped us trade abroad and, and, and not only that, but keep us safe, you know, in the stockyards from really nasty diseases. Um, but I, I think, you know, I, I am a bit upset that this has been going on for a long time and it hasn't been invested in or changed. And I almost feel like there's been a precedence that, well, unless you're willing to give your all, you know, your life, your personal life, you know, 120% all the time, you're, you're less of a vet. You know, I think that culture's, you know, unless you give everything, you're not giving enough. And, and that's just not sustainable, uh, as well. Um, I think, you know, it's interesting talking to friends and family in the, um, in the medical sector, you know, someone, someone needs to be sent to Adelaide for life-saving surgery. Like they're, they're in a bad way. But they can be saved. It's like no questions. Yet we have a plane sitting there, fueled up, ready to go to take you to wherever you need. Or there's a surgeon sitting there. We can save this person's life. I have to have a very, very difficult narrative with someone to go. Do you have the cash to go ahead with this? You know, the animal could die, but it's going to be a. You know, it could be thousands of dollars. Roll the dice. You know, and it's not thousands of dollars for me just to, you know, go and sit on my yacht in in you know off Cuba. Like we barely have enough time to you know get away to the pub or play a game of touch footy. Sometimes it's like you know to to cover our costs. Um, you know, or or when when someone dies, um, you know, in the medical sector, um, you know, you don't have to ask them for the bill afterwards. Uh, and it's and it's also you know I think as well we take on so many roles as a vet we're a pharmacist a, a surgeon a medicine specialist uh, you know equine dogs cattle um, reproductive specialists like we we sort of do everything um, and we also have to be the counsellor like I know you know speaking to some of my friends in the medical sector 
You know, in some dyers, cool, we've got an entire counselling team for you and for the family. You know, in some instances for us, there's, there's nothing. Um, you know, you have to deliver that bad news and either cop the abuse or, or give them a, give them a hug and then, uh, you know, step into the next consult and vaccinate a mob of puppies and be happy as Larry. Um, so I think that's a, that's a big difference. And I think, the time off is a, is a big one as well. So, you know, with veterinary science, as I said, you're on call. It's day in, day out. You get a couple of weeks off a year if you're lucky. You know, it's not like the FIFO minor, you know, seven on, seven off or, or some of the medical things where it's like, cool, I'm a night shift and then I have some time off and some day shift. There is time to decompress. There is time to, you know, have a life outside of that. And I think, you know, because we don't have investment in that, you know, you sort of need to turn up to work 365 days a year in order to make a living and, and, and to get the job done. With the numbers of vets in Australia being as low as they are and the, what's it, you said the suicide rate is four times more likely than... Average person on the street, yep. Yeah. I'm guessing that um, you know people who have taken their life then in your profession... Oh, hundred percent. Um, weirdly enough, my year of university, we're, we're like a, we're like a statistical anomaly where no one in my year has taken their life yet. And we're like, when, so when's that happening? I, you, I just caught you as you said yet. Yeah. In that sentence. Yeah. It's, it's like you've already made this assumption that it is, got, it's not someone. a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It'll get someone, you know, and I'm not talking like a, you know, rolling a car or having a having a heart attack it's like you know someone going like my only way out of this is is to knock myself off um yeah it's uh every yeah i've i've lost mates um you know and as i said it's just really shitty to go oh man like gosh that family's going through what my family did when we lost dad but you know, uh, we just could have maybe given them a bit more time off uh we you know we should be doing a better job at this um, you know, I, I think we touched about it in one of the other podcasts. I'm a locum, so like, you know, the, the flying relief teacher, uh, casual teacher, you know, I go into clinics, help people take time off or, or take the phones at night. Um, you get flogged, but you know, there's a little bit extra cash in it if you can. Unfortunately, most of the, most of the shifts are, oh, such and such burnt out, you know, oh, we just can't get anyone, you know, there's a bit of maternal leave or, you know, unfortunately it's like, ah, yep, you know, you'll, you'll log into that computer and you will say your history signed off by a vet that's dead. They're gone now. You know, they were typing up the history for a dog last week and you would never be able to ask them about that case again because they're, they're, they're in the ground and they're gone. So it's kind of almost like becoming white noise now. We're just like, you just go from clinic to clinic to clinic. That's like, yep, we can't get vets. Yep, we can't get vets. We've lost someone. Oh, someone's burnt out or someone's dead. And, um, yeah, I think it's just really sad. And, you know, the effects is having shortages is just really big repercussions for us, you know, as, as communities, towns and as a nation, not having vets. I think a lot of people have felt that during COVID with this particular, um, how the, the, the human medical profession was under so much pressure and strain and a lot of people, well, not a lot of people, but there were certainly numbers of people that kind of had to walk away from their jobs or that were yeah. having, I so see, it sounds like maybe they're kind of having a bit of a taste of what vets have been going through for some time. I'm not saying, you know, that it's apples and apples. No, I don't. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I get what you mean. It's not a race to the bottom, but you know, yeah, let's look at, you know, it took a global pandemic before we went like, huh. We, uh, we need to invest in our, you know, in our, in our medical sector again. It was, it was under strain and then it got broken. 
um, you know, and it just needed a little, it was a house of dominoes and it just got a little poke and fell over. Um, I think there's a lot of sectors there, you know. As I said, if we go back and we look at, well, you know, if we're going to pay people to dig stuff out of the ground, you know, double or triple the wage of a doctor or a vet or a teacher, well, people are going to vote with their feet and I have to go and compete for that person at a house auction, buying a car, you know, for the cost of living, um, you know, and we're going to see... We're going to see people leave those fields, you know. Like as you said, the the uh, the health sector. You know, I saw, I heard something on the radio. You know, thirty five thousand uh, jobs are available right now in the um, in the aged care sector. You know, it, it was just getting flogged, and we don't invest in it. The the pay is criminally low, and they wonder why people won't go in there. Um, you know, and and it's scary when we have a you know baby boomer population and an aging population that will need that service, but you know. Maybe I'm out of line for saying this, but we're as a nation that would rather spend more on gambling during uh, the spring racing carnival in Melbourne in an entire week than we do an entire year of our federal education budget. And we wonder why we can't get to teachers, you know. If you're going to pay teachers 70 grand and a bloke to drive a truck for 140, 160 grand in the mines, well, guess where people are going to go? You, you get what you invest in. Um, and if you don't invest in sectors, you, you know, you're not going to get a return on investment. And, and once again, I'm not throwing shade at those people that do well. Um, but if the pendulum gets out of whack, you're going to see, um, yeah, you're just going to see deficiencies, uh, in those sectors. And, uh, yeah. And vet is one of those ones that's held on as long as it's can. And, you know, like it is not uncommon to go to a clinic and go, Oh, I want to get my dog vaccinated. Yeah. No worries, man. That's a four to six week wait. You want to get your dog spayed. That can be two months wait. Like we are just book chockers, you know. Let alone fitting in, you know, the dog that obviously can't be scheduled in that gets run over by a truck, um, you know, or the bitch that needs a, a, a an emergency cesarean, you know. So you've got something that's totally booked and saturated, and then you throw emergencies in on top of that. It's just, oh man, it's a jungle. Yeah. And what we also saw with COVID. Uh, I think in Australia alone, it was about 1.8, 1.9 extra pets required. People weren't going overseas, people staying. So more people have got pets, but there's now less vets uh, to service it. And I think we're at a point where people, you know, I, I think pet ownership is such a great thing. I've recently got a dog for the first time in, in over a decade. In the last six months, I acquired my papa. But, um, you know, I think people need to realise that, um, you know, having having a pet is privilege. It's not It's not a right. You know, to survive, we need shelter, food, and water. We don't need a pet, and pets are great, but that that is an expensive privilege. That's like owning a car and having to pay for fuel, tires, and registration. You know, pets are expensive, so making sure that you've you know investigated. Well, what does a broken leg cost? What does a snake bite cost? You know, thousands of dollars, and and that's not me making a profit on it. That's what the that's what the companies tra- charge us to supply the drugs. We we do not get much of a markup on that. Um, and, uh, you know, people need to do their due diligence and, you know, have a credit card or I think the big thing that we need to push, uh, similar to the UK is insuring your pet. As I said, I've got a dog and even as a vet, I have my dog insured and people go, but you're the vet. And I'm like, mate, I still get paid, um, charge full fare on all the drugs and all the surgical implants and all the bells and whistles. Like just because I'm a vet doesn't mean I get it for free. Um, and, and I've, I've insured him so that I can give him the best and it doesn't, you know, it's not going to cost me my house. And just for reference here, this is a camp dog you got out at Fink. This isn't some <laughs> kind of purebred husky or 
French Dash bulldog. Hund. Yeah. Sausage dogs. You're not a camp draft dog. Calm down. <laughs> no, like, you're exactly right. This thing's a golden retriever cross dingo cross whatever was running out. Uh, in the middle of the uh, Simpson Desert, yeah, in Fink, the small community between uh, Unadada and Alice Springs. So he's got constitution for days. He's a tough uh, little dog, but, you know, he broke his foot there six months ago and we had to go and put a, a plate in his toe or, or cut off the foot. They were our options. The The amputation was going to be $1,200 and the, we went ahead with the orthopedic surgery, so putting the plate in and saving the toe, uh, that was uh, 3500 bucks, and I was the vet. I thankfully I'd insured him and uh and uh he was okay. But you know, a lot of a lot of people are getting these really boutique dogs, you know, French bulldogs or, you know, huskies or, or dash ones. And, you know, the asking price of these things is four to six grand and they do need to be looked after. It's like buying a sports car, a Maserati or Ferrari. You just don't run a bit of sump oil out of the out of the old, you know, diesel generator out the back into it, you know, you, you've got to give it the best. And, you know, some of these breeds, there's a little bit of upkeep in them and you're putting us in a really difficult position as professionals to give subpar care um, because there isn't the budget to look after it and, and, and you're kind of harming your pet as well. I think if we can come back to what you were saying earlier when I asked you, like, you know, what is it that's different between being a vet and a doctor in Australia and why is it so much, why are we seeing all of these um, pressures and issues, you know, surrounding vets more so? I'm not saying that doctors don't have those issues, but I suppose I am I just keep thinking about what you said, you know, if somebody gets hit by a car today, you know, or if, if my sister or anybody, if something happens for the most part, like Medicare, they're going to, there's no questions asked. They get taken to hospital. They get looked after. So, I mean, America, that's a bit of a whole different deal because you're going to exactly. end up with huge medical bills afterwards. Exactly. But for the most part in Australia, like, you know, you're at least going to get treated, yep. kind of deal with it later if worse comes, but generally, even then you don't have to. It's more so the only things you're really going to have to fork out for in Australia is like elective surgery. You know, mm. if you want to get a new sort of, um, breasts or a new nose or, yep. you know, but when it comes to, you know, so if my, yeah, if my kid breaks its leg or my auntie gets cancer or something, you know, you don't have to make a decision on that. Yeah, um, I've got to put auntie down, yeah. Yeah. I've got to put my kid down, yeah. Yeah, when it comes to your pet, you have to, yeah, there, there, I guess I guess maybe that is the big difference here is that there is a choice because the, it's not guaranteed to be paid for and that's – and I get – it's yeah – and like you said, there's no the vet has to be everything. Like you're not just the vet, you're the counsellor. And yeah. you're dealing with your own emotions, but then that of the owners, a whole family. Mm. It's yeah. just how I suppose I'm wondering, how are you still here? What what's been different for you that you're not God forbid, like you said, someone in your year mm. yet mm. and it bloody better not be you, but like how <laughs> I don't know how to ask that with that. It's just no, no, sounding I, like I, a, how do I, how have I lasted? And you know, I think you know, let's let's swing, uh, you know, the the dime the other side of the coin. You know, I've probably talked about a lot of negative stuff, and and there are some pretty sobering things. And you know, I just this isn't a, a pity festival, this is more, you know, for your listeners, there just an awareness, you know, just go, let's go easy on us, but um. Yeah, you know, I, I think for myself, 
um, you know, I've been I've been really lucky. Uh, you know, coming off a property, I think that really prepped me for it a little bit more. Um, you know, I'd sort of seen the the visceral, you know, realities of, of pet ownership and and what vets had had to do on a station. You know, some some people go into it they they may be from a different background and they haven't seen that. You know, I think some some television shows, you know, some prominent veterinary television shows on on tele uh, in in our media have done a really bad job at representing what we do. You know, I just sit around in a tweed jacket, drink tea, and talk about old parrot or fluffy over there. When in in actual fact, every fifteen minutes you're getting slammed with a with a different case. Uh, you know, you're going around some beach in Sydney, you know, uh, just chilling out and having a great time. Um, so, you know, those expectations aren't met and it's a really, really big shock. I think for me, you know, um, travelling a lot, you know, that was my way to decompress. I know certain people like, oh, you know, you're being frivolous by, by, by travelling. And I was like, well, my meagre savings, I, I always had a saying, you know, earn dollars, spend pesos, you know, I'd go abroad and live off an oily rag and, you know, sort of just sit and stare at the skyline for a while and decompress rather than just getting flogged week in, week out um, and, and just being really, really aware of it as well. You know, I'm not immune from being the first statistic. I'm, you know, I, I have to be really, really aware of it. Um, you know, after this stint in Alice Springs, I'm going to go and take a week off because I can see myself getting tired. I can see myself getting burnt out. And I think just being aware uh, aware of that is, is, is really important. And... I guess for any other vets out there that may be listening to this, you know, we do take it on as our identity, you know. Sometimes we are, I'm such and such the vet, you know, and I am Cosy the vet, but I'm sort of Cosy the pilot. I'm I'm Cosy the guy that, you know, drives an old Land Rover. I'm Cosy the guy that likes to go and, you know, go for a hike every now and again or go to the gym is just making sure that, you know, you just don't let that one um, sort of entire thing of your life dominate it, you know, uh I, I guess, yeah, I don't bash, like, things go wrong and things die or get sick and that was just the way it was going to be. It's not my negligence, um, you know, and you've just got to go, well, if that animal died, it was going to die before I got there. The moment I walked into the room or went through the, the front gate of that farm, that animal's chance of surviving, you know, tripled, doubled, quadrupled, I'm not sure, but, you know, it was going to be a lot better than me not turning up. Um, and I guess as well, like, you know, I... I there, there was always going to be sick and dying animals before I was a vet, and there will be, you know, when I retire or, or walk away or whatever, whatever the future has in hold for me. Um, but I can't make a difference if I'm gone, you know, like I can't save everything. I can't control everything. I can only do the best I can. And, uh, you know, um, I'd hate for, yeah, you know, if, if I was to take my own life, well, I can't do any good then, can I? So, um, yeah, just sort of breaking into little chunks and stuff like that. And look, don't get me wrong, it can be a rewarding career. You know, I'm not sitting behind a computer doing accounts receivable or, you know, as, as much as we talk about this massive money in the mines, you know, I'm not looking at a, a coal face, you know, chapping away at, you know, fossil fuels and things like this, you know, I get to make a difference. It's taken me around the world. You know, right now I'm a flying vet in Australia uh, as well. You know, it's enabled me to get my pilot's licence and pay to have, uh, you know, a, a dabble in aviation. You know, I get to go in indigenous communities and, you know, sacred land that not anyone gets to go to on the cattle stations. Uh, you know, seeing Australia at 8,500 feet looks pretty darn good. It looks great on the ground. It looks even better up there. Um you know, so there's a lot of things that you can't really give a, a money value to it. Um, but yeah, the rewarding, the, the rewards are, are fantastic. And I think that's something that keeps me going. And I think my sort of, you know, 
talking about this and my passion on in advocating for uh, my profession, you know, that that's yeah, that seems to be a bit of a bee in my bonnet at the moment and keeps me wanting to go forward. You are quite passionate in advocating for the veterinary profession in Australia. We've spoken or discussed a fair bit about the issues that are here and and the problems and the challenges which are seems never ending and very much plenty. What are some of the the solutions that you see? You know, I, I you know the old saying, "Don't come to me with a problem; come to me with a solution." <laughs> yeah. um, but also, I suppose for people listening, simply being aware of it is one is one thing. But I always like to think of, you know, what are some actionable steps that people listening can take? And I'm just going to put my hand up first and jump in to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, the attitude and the language we use to our vets and just, and honestly, just reminding everyone of that on call, uh, yeah. the amount that you're getting paid when you're on call. Yeah. Uh, and, and the, like you said before, when somebody might just have like that little, you know, double or backhanded comment, it's just one moment in your day, but it's one moment in ve- a lot of moments in death their day. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Death by a thousand cuts. And I, I, I can't, I've definitely, I don't, I don't think I've ever been sassy or anything to a vet, but no. I, I, but I've definitely, you know, had a joke among friends being like, oh yeah, horse is always going to get, you know, um, colic on, you know, after hours and, you know, just so I can pay the vet twice as much, you know, yeah. definitely had that. But, and I, and I think oh, that's certainly something I'm going to be aware of going forward of that oh, narrative. <laughs> um, so what are, I guess like everybody listening, there's things like that that we can do, but also there are some, very large systemic changes that need to come into play. So take us through, I guess, the spectrum of all of that. Yeah, I think just, you know, uh, yeah, we've, we've brushed over client expectations. Um, I think, you know, I'm seeing, uh, I'm seeing a change in the profession. Well, you know, most people might not know, but veterinary science now is probably 80, 90 percent female. You know, yeah, the, the classes of vet- veterinary science coming through, um, you might have an alumni, you know, an intake, sorry, uh, you know, of 120 students, there might be eight blokes in that class. Um, so, you know, we're getting, we're seeing a change, you know, and, and maybe um, this is rhetorical, but my expectations, I do think when it comes to feelings and looking after each other, women can be a little bit more collaborative and, 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 uh, you know, are more likely to talk about their feelings. Guys, nah, nah, she's right. Whereas girls like, no, 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 I'm really upset by this. And I think that's, you know, we're seeing these, these young professional women getting into, uh, into, you know, advocacy, like, you know, the, pres- the president of the Australian Veterinary Association just changed a couple of weeks ago. Young lady, younger than myself. Um, you know, very well educated, uh, is one of the youngest presidents for the association. And I think one of seven or nine ladies. So, I think, yeah, I think we're, we're seeing a change there. We are starting to see, you know, this mental health discussion becoming more prevalent. We are starting to see, you know, some more tools, uh, in our arsenal being delivered to us. You know, it's not this thing that we just, you know, wear with a badge of honor. Oh, yeah, I, I survived and I can crack on. We're starting to go, oh, look, here's some little red flags that we have to start, um, you know, acknowledging and, and let's do something about it. So is that something that you're seeing? So obviously as a locum vet, you travel Australia wide, you, uh, basically sub in at clinics, you know, so you, you almost, I guess, have your finger on the pulse more than men, mm. m- more than most. 
are you seeing changes in the workplace culture in terms of attitudes towards mental health, whether it be like toolbox meetings and employee assistance program. I actually was at a cattle station on the weekend and almost fell off my chair. So I know that when I worked for government, um, it's standard for all government departments to have the employee assistance program. So like a number you can call, you get however many free counselling sessions or and whatnot, all these kind of things. This was a pastoral company that had a properly mm. set up like a 1-800 number for their employees to ring up for support if they needed it. And I almost fell off my – and it's not even like one of the big, massive, major pastoral companies yep. – almost fell off my chair. Is this yep. something that you're seeing yep. in vet clinics? Are, are they having PD, like professional development days, yep. you know, um, like a, a vet's doing like a Myers-Briggs test or a, mm. or a, I don't know, whatever else there is to kind of work out – you know, what they're like and what is um, going to be triggering triggering for them and, and what and how to manage their, I guess, personality types and their, I don't know, all those kind of things. I, I agree, yeah, I'm starting, you know, we've still got a long way to go but it's not uncommon now like uh, to see those, hey, if you're having a trouble, call this number. You know, we're starting to see a lot of clinics, you know, a four-day week, um, you know, and more RDOs and making sure that people do take... Uh, more time off and clinics going, you know what, we are going to get a locum in, you know, regardless of the price to go, well, you know, we'll get someone like myself in here to, to give our people time off. Uh, you know, I'm starting to see packages where it's like, yeah, we incorporate more time off. Uh, we, um, we are telling people, you know, go away and do study and we'll pay for it. If you want to do any of your masters or, or continual education, we'll, we'll remunerate and pay that and cover it. So I, you know, it, I think they're, you know, like any industry, I see some places where I'm like, Jesus, this is a really toxic workplace and stuck in the dark ages, but I'm starting to, but we're seeing ones that are going, yeah, let's address this problem and they're trying to do their best. And yeah, uh, and, and I think there's just a new wave and, you know, I don't know, is it woke? I don't know what it is or just people coming through going, no, this is really important and we want to talk about it and you're not, you're not going to get gaslit about it anymore. Like I've had colleagues that have gone to, you know, I've, I know someone very close. Um, I'll keep them incognito. Great person, great vet, big asset to the, uh, um, to the profession, you know, was a new grad and they, they brought it up with their, uh, their boss just going, Hey, I'm, I'm having thoughts, you know, about knocking myself off and, um, they were mocked, yeah, got got made redundant, you know, and, and that's been something, you know, in the last decade, um, you know, and that was sort of like, you know, oh, you know, bloody, bloody, you know, new people coming through, don't have the constitution and now going, whoa, this is, yep, okay, we're going to take this, we're going to take this uh, more serious. As I said, you know, lady vets coming into the profession back in the day really had to work hard to prove the vet. Oh, you can't, you're not strong, you can't do this. I definitely had a lot of privilege being a young male vet, 100%. Um, but, you know, uh, and, and of course, not only that, you, know, you you just don't have the strength to do this and that, which uh, I, I disagree. I think they can do pretty well everything uh, that I can, but maybe 5 10%. But... But if they brought it up as well, I'm struggling. Oh, it's just your, your little girl mind. You know, you're just little delicate cunt. Now it's like, well, that's everyone. And it seems to be everyone that's, that's saying this now. So it's more, you know, you're not getting isolated and, and pulled over the, you know, sort of ridiculed almost. It's like, no, nah, if you're putting your hand up to say, I'm, I'm not doing well, there's a lot of, uh, um, respect for that and, and support. And, you know, that's something definitely lasts three to five years, seeing a massive change. 
So you're saying there is a genuine interest and, um, and I guess response to this issue. And because I suppose I wonder when you, especially at the beginning, you said, you know, you're seeing like, oh, here's a number, you know, if you need to call it, how often that's kind of used in a very tokenistic way. Like, oh yeah, we, we, um, we do our, you know, support mental health day and our, we, we, we will have an are you okay day morning tea at work. And, but then when, when, the Put the ch- cup cakes away and I'll give you an absolute spray. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. And then yeah. when when push comes to shove though and actually somebody does go, oh, actually I, I need some, then it's, you know, it's all very, it, it can yeah. be very tokenistic, which I suppose is maybe perhaps what you're referring to when you say there's still some very toxic workplaces out yeah. there. But it sounds yeah. like there's a lot of people that are actually very genuine in wanting to enact this change and, yeah. and have meaningful change, not just something that looks good on the surface and is just a token. Exactly, and I think it's just changing so much. And um, you know, the predominant female, um, uh, you know, vets coming through is is making the industry change as well. Like the biggest demographic of underused uh, vets that we're starting to see is 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 professional women with kids. Yeah, they can't do on call. They're not going to go and preg test a thousand chaos during the day. But we've got these these professionals trained to have the credentials of myself that are just sitting there idle and you know it's been interesting to see a couple other clinics go well you know we're going to run a clinic that maybe needs five full-time vets but we've got maybe several part-timers and you know having a creche incorporated into that or like going well let's have a look at everyone's school schedules and you know mother some of the mothers can play mother duck and doing that and you know I was just like wow this this is change this is you know look at you know uh, there was almost a joke sometimes, oh, you don't want to hire a girl because you're going to train her up and three to five years later she's going to meet one of the farmers near the clinic and, you know, they'll have a kid and see you later and, you know, that does happen. But rather than that going, well, that's just going to happen now, whether you like it or not, because there's no blokes lining up to be vets. They're all wanting to be, you know, working in the mines, chasing that big money. Is going, well, okay, um, we're presented with that pattern. Well, how are we going to do it? So, you know, that's even been a really exciting thing that I've seen and, you know, I don't know, I see myself as someone that's progressive and it excites me to go, I'm damned if, um, you know, this narrative that we've been having for 17 years since I've been involved with veterinary science is just the proxy forever. I think there's a lot of just people just stuck in their ways and, and um, you know, there's an exciting new new wave coming through. I suppose, like, as, as we said, there's so many things that need to happen um, to address this and so we've said, you know, one thing is from the from the client's perspective, how we not just treat vets, but really it comes back to how we think about them. And so changing that narrative of vets being kind of, you know, snake oil selling, you know, mm-hmm. money laundering yeah. rich people driving off in their fancy cars. Um, yeah. I can't believe that the average wage of a vet is. I, I knew that the, you know, like I've always joked, oh, go to uni for five years and come out to make 40 grand a year. I didn't realise that then, you know, when you're hitting your prime, you're mm. still only at like 70 grand a year. Mm. Like mm. that's that's a bit rough. So changing our perspective and language, you've mentioned that there's definitely some changes that can um, be undertaken in the workplace. What else? I, I mean, there's just so much but what else do you see needing to happen? I think, um, you know, something – I went to James Cook University in Townsville and there was something we did, you know, the professional development courses, you know, your Myers-Briggs tests and your personality traits. And, and, you know, I remember being a young, foolish little guy at uni and, you know, being naughty and going, oh, these bloody courses, rah, 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 and reflecting later on going, Jesus, they were – you know, maybe that's why our year hasn't got anyone that's – 
you know, knocked himself off yet. I'm, I'm not sure, but um, I think, you know, because, you know, maybe going back over country we've covered already, you know, in the medical sector, if you've got a government writing a checkbook, you don't really need business skills and, and, and stuff, you know, you're just like, oh, well, I turn up, I do my job, I get paid. You know, as vets, you've got to sort of run a business and I, uh, I'm seeing more and more of those courses coming through and, and even myself starting to inquire, then we go, well, um, you know, we're taught how to be surgeons, we're taught how to be, you know, medicine specialists, but we're not really taught about, you know, yeah, well, personality types and, um, you know, business skills and, uh, yeah, you know, how to identify mental health problems and, you know, even, even things that we need to deal with with our own personalities and trauma. So I think, you know, we're starting to see that and, you know, I hope that that continues to grow. That can be something else that can be done. As far as sort of, you know, governmental, Input, it's, it's going to be a hard one whether or not we can ask the taxpayer to go, righto, all, all vet surgery, um, service is going to be free and, you know, everyone's going to pitch in and, and pay tax to get, you know, your designer dog all the surgery that it needs because you wanted to design a dog. I don't know if that's too rich to swallow. I, I'm not sure. Um, I think, uh, uh, what was I going to say? Um, I think our governing, uh, bodies, you know, our veterinary boards need to probably have a bit of a, you know, I think about, you know, I often feel that, you know, we've got these boards, right? And if there's a, a client, if we're, you know, it makes us accountable for malpractice. And if a client thinks that we've done something, uh, malpractice, they can report us and, you know, we have to go to court and we can get deregistered. But I feel a lot of these boards are not on the side of the vets. You know, this is a thing that like, oh shit, they're, they're out to get us. You know, they're not there to, to mediate. They're there to persecute. And I think they sense, um, they can set some pretty sort of, you know, Silly legal uh, precedences as well, um, you know. Like certain states, I can go out in a cattle station and drop a horse on the lawn and and do a gelding. No questions asked. That is a hundred percent legal. If I've got a castrate or spay your dog, oh, but that that's a dog. You're not allowed to do that. And you're like, so this dog is either not going to get the treatment it it needs, such as a spay, and you know, we're either we might not be talking about a cattle station now. We might be talking about indigenous communities. Um, you know, oh well, those animals miss out on you know a leg amputation because it was run over by a car two months ago, and the compound fracture and the bone sticking out the side, and you know, it's a welfare issue. But I've got all the means to do it, but I can't do the surgery out in the bush because you know, if it was a horse, yes; if it was a dog, no. Um, you know, I just think that's a that's a little bit silly. Um, you know, some of the states and territories dictate, oh, you need a facility, and that's fine. You know, if I had it my way and could have a, a beautifully uh, manicured clinic or some kind of facility out in the middle of the bush, you know, that'd be fantastic. But who's going to pay for that? Um, you know, and who's going to maintain that? And you know, if I've got to incorporate that into my day rate and my spay rate, you know, those those surgeries are just going to go up in value. Um, yeah, and it's just going to become, you know, for private enterprise, it's just going to be, it's going to be too much. And I think sometimes people do go, oh, well, we've got to build these facilities and these things. And I'm like, some of the people here have trachomas in their eyes, like a developing, uh, nation disease, you know, like there's, well, there's no mobile reception or there's no electricity. And yeah, it's like, you know, you need these fancy dangle, you know, veterinary facilities. So, um, yeah, I, I do find that a bit of a challenge as well that you sort of, yeah, you're almost on your guard all the time with your own with your own kin, and you know, and you're too scared to you know do what's best for an animal because you might have done nothing wrong, but you get persecuted. And um, yeah, and I and I think I think something that I'd like to see change as well. Um, 
you know, and, and uh, is is how nurses are paid because they're paid even less than us, and they, you know, they have to be the receptionist, you know, nursing uh, on procedures, you know, clean the the shit off the floor and the blood off the walls, you know, and they get they get flogged even even more sometimes, and and for a lot less. So we're starting to see a veterinary shortage now, a veterinary nurse shortage. Um, but yeah, I, I'd really like, you know, I think when vets students are going through university. Um, yeah, you know, we've got a lot of workload on us. We've got to juggle part-time jobs as well. And, you know, it's all part and parcel being a student sometimes. But yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're in our holidays, you know, you've just done a semester of uni. Your entire holidays were spent doing pro bono work and clinics and placement. And there's a lot of that workload. And it's like, well, I'm getting taught that as a professional, I'm not worth anything. You know, I don't get paid to do prac. You know, do I, you know, do, does that mean that a, a veterinary practice has to pay these students? Well, I don't think that'll fit into the business model very well. But, you know, what are the unis going to do? You know, I know med students, when they go on prac, they get accommodation, they get, you know, subsidised travel, grocery allowance. As a vet, I had to pay my diesel. Uh, you know, thankfully my family helped me on a lot of stuff. You know, I had to pay your diesel, your food and your accommodation to then go and, you know, be free labour at a clinic. And, and I think that sets a bad thing to go, you know, a bad precedence as a, as a student to go, it's not really worth anything. Um, you know, and then they run these hospitals uh, with a lot of minions, you know, all, all the little vet students. And I understand that that's part of seeing practice and prac, but, yeah, it's just sort of like um, you work for us, you don't do you don't get remunerated. Like you, you're just setting people at a level before they've even graduated to go, oh, well, I guess this is how clients are going to teach me. And, and I think that's a – I don't know. I'd, I'd love to sit down with the psychologist, but – you know, I get a lot of vet students that I'm like, "Hey, man, we we got an early or a, uh, an early arvo go home, or oh, I'll buy a feed or stuff." And they're almost like, "Well, this isn't normal." And say, like, "Hey, no, you're you're worth something." And it really worries me that in the next six to twelve months they're graduating, going, "Well, I've been flogged by you know, by prac and by all these things." Uh, you know, what's different from going into the workforce? You know, I'm getting paid a meagre wage now. So if I was getting paid nothing and I get paid a little, well, that that looks great, doesn't it? So. What was it you said at the very beginning? How, how many vets are not lasting past that two to three year mark? Our new grads. So the day you get your piece of paper and your little hat and you, you know, celebrate with getting your little doctor prefix, you last about two to three years. But like, how how many of those vets do you reckon? Like half of them are not lasting. I think they're talking about sixty percent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And then uh, the the other stat was, you know, every year thirty to forty percent of the vets remaining go, "I'm going to leave in the next twelve yeah, eighteen months." Okay. And then it just the the bell curve just falls away. So it's, it's unbelievable. Just, it's coming from all angles. The new vets aren't lasting very long. The vets that have lasted a while are, are like you said, voting with their feet and walking elsewhere, or, or burnt out. Yeah, but, yeah. Yep. Or, or they t- can't support leaving, the young vets. Yeah, leaving the profession yep. or. God forbid, leaving the world. Yes. Um, we, we've spoken, I suppose, a lot in the context of, of small animal and livestock vets, and I suppose that is the bulk of, of vets in Australia are working in, in clinics around the country, you know, treating pets or and, and livestock. But there's so much more, you know. So, yes, um, one reason that, that, well, the veterinary crisis is important in and of itself, purely because people are important and no matter what industry you work in, we shouldn't have to be seeing any industry go through so many people leaving and so many people mm. are facing these issues and, and taking their life. So that in and of itself is is the primary reason that anybody should care about this. Um, you also mentioned, you know, sort of like during COVID, there's so many people with pets and there's just not enough vets to service them. So mm. obviously that in itself is an issue. But vets also play 
other roles that I think a lot of us don't even really know about. Like, um, there's a vet in every abattoir in Australia, you know, yeah. for meat quality, yep. um, we biosecurity, um, like locally and internationally. There's, there's so many other roles. So it's not just, oh, we're losing vets. Um, and we're not going to have enough people to go get your dogs castrated and, and spayed and <laughs> yeah, vaccinated. Yeah. We need vets for so many other things in Australia and there are some um, pretty big issues on the horizon or and quite literally at our doorstep at the moment. Mm. So do you want to tell us, give us a bit of a run a rundown on that for people who may not even have any awareness um, because, again, because it's not cool and sexy, uh, you don't really see it on A Current Affair or The Project or... Today, no. tonight, or any of those, you know, Channel Nine news. I know it's not a it's not a football player scandal exactly. Um, yeah, look, uh, our, our biosecurity um, is is probably well, it's been vulnerable for a long time, but it's just getting worse and worse and worse, and we're starting to see some, you know, pretty bad things happening. You know, last week in New South Wales, we saw the varroa mite get into honeybees near Newcastle. You know. We're one of the last countries to get that, and that that means you know, oh well, they're just honeybees getting wiped out. Well, that's you know, uh, plants and and our cropping industries, you know, being brought to their knees because we've got no little pollinators getting around. You know, that was a that was a you know, it's of something of reasonable concern. We're talking about you know, ecological collapse in some areas. Um, you know, the last two years being in the Northern Territory, um. Myself and uh, and Northern Queensland, uh, we've had a lickier uh, canis or e canis, the tick sickness in dogs. Uh, you know that's that got picked up in Halls Creek in Kununurra in May 2020, right when COVID was on. COVID was a cool kid, dominated the um, the news lines. Um, but you know that was a disease that was picked up there. Several weeks later, it was in Catherine, and before we knew it, it was endemic in the Northern Territory. This disease just. It just spread, um, you know, and there there wasn't probably vets out and about to pick it up, and we just didn't have investment in our laboratories or any of the matrix to to pick up and help diagnose this. You know, reflecting on what you said, you know, with COVID and and our medical um, sector coming under under pressure, you know, oh, we couldn't get PCR tests done in, in time. Um, well, let's look at the Alikia, for example, that got into Queensland a couple of months ago. We don't even have funding to test. Um, if the disease is in dogs or not. So we're getting sick dogs in Mount Isa. Um, you've got to ring the Department of Agriculture and go, hey, have you got any spare money for a couple of blood tests and some freight? We're talking several hundred bucks or a couple of grand. And they're like, no, nah, we've got nothing. So we've got a disease that's, you know, ripped through the top end that's now going across Queensland. It's getting underdiagnosed uh, and underdetected because that then goes back onto the, the private, the, the pet owner go, hey, you know, your vet bill's going to go up a couple hundred bucks if you can afford to pay for the test to see if the dog's got it so that we can, you know, understand what's going on. Um, so I think Alikia, you know, the, the tick sickness in the dogs, you know, that was our test run and we failed We failed bad. Yeah, we, we did not do well there. That disease just mopped the floor with us. You know, Australia, uh, if you do a Google Scholar um, search, uh, you know, there, there's literature that's 12, 15-year-old saying Australia is underprepared for a rabies outbreak, uh, you know, um so so some very smart people have dissected that and said we we're just not ready for it we're we're not investing in it um it's been bubbling along now swinging back onto what you brought up before we have some very nasty nasty things um just north of uh you know Australian sovereignty uh, we've got lumpy skin disease 
African swine fever, African horse sickness, and the very, very scary one of uh, foot and mouth disease. So, you know, last week in, in Indonesia or the week before, they had something like 20,000 cases in that week of foot and mouth. Uh, you know, if we... Uh, we have some African horse sickness bubbling around in Southeast Asia as well. So, you know, carried by um, little biting midges and they bite your horse. Um, the mortality is about 98%. And if you want to watch a horse, you remember at school when you used to make those little plasticine volcanoes and you put a little bicarb soda and red food dye and vinegar and watch it explode? That's what a horse's nose looks like when they get it. It just hemorrhages out. Like they talk about in the Buddha War, um, you know, in the late 1800s when the British and the Africans were fighting, um, you know, the Prussians turned out the pride of the cavalry and they charged off into battle in all their shiny uniforms and brass, came back two weeks later, all their horse died. And they all had their, they all look a raggedy, unshaven mob with their saddles on their shoulders. All their horses died. It just mopped the floor with them. So, be another nasty disease that's spell the end for any equine ownership in the north of Australia. Um, lumpy skin disease, um, you know, it's a, it's a disease carried by uh, mosquitoes and biting midges and horse flies. Uh, it bites, uh, buffalo and cattle and they get, you know, a lot of sores all over them. Uh, they can get infected. They get high temperatures and then grow little lesions and sores all on their in, uh, on their organs. So we'd lose trade um, benefits almost immediately. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, farms would lose considerable money with loss of efficiency in production. Um, and yeah, obviously, African um, swine fever uh, is is something that's rampant through Papua New Guinea and Southeast Asia as well. So you know, I've flown into Bamaga at the tip of Queensland. Um, and you know, on a clear day, you'll see PNG right over on the horizon. It's not very far at all. Um, you know, and these diseases are just sitting there. So if we don't have vets patrolling, if we're not having vets booked in, booked in for preg tests out on stations, if we're not getting vets investing to go out to indigenous communities and, and spay dogs and keep an eye on the fort where we're just leaving massive areas unwatched and undiagnosed and, you know, foot and, foot and mouth gets into Australia, which we are very worried about. Um, there, there won't be any stopping on it, you know. My little plane that I poke around in to, to do work on stations and out of clinics, I'll pull all the seats out of it, fill it up with ammo, and we'll, we'll shoot everything. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be, you know, those scenes that we saw in the United Kingdom and France in the late nineties, early thousands of, you know, just burning cattle by the thousands in pits, uh, like logs. Yeah, that that's very real for us. So, um, you know, as it stands, you know, uh, if you draw a line from Darwin to Catherine to Mount Isa to Cairns. We've got a little clinic up in Nullumboy, but they don't leave the, the town. Uh, I've got a little clinic in Weeper, but other than that, there's not a single vet north of there. That's an area the size of New South Wales. So, you know, if, if, if we were talking, you know, military tactics and we left an area like that unminded, you know, and, and an enemy landed, God, that's, that, that'd be set up a hell of a beachhead and take a hell of a long time to fight back. And, you know, our, our, um, our track record with the tick sickness here in the north has shown that there just wasn't vets or any money or any investment to help stop this. Uh, the Northern Territory did okay because uh, we had a senator uh, that was uh, that was a vet, so you know got some influence there for some some testing, so we could actually see where the disease was. But we look at Queensland, there's nothing. Um, we've had our test runs. I think we've dropped the ball. I, I am genuinely frightened for. You know, if you're a station owner or in pastoralism or, you know, uh, and foot and mouth gets in, you know, it's 
it's not going to be great. Yeah, it's going to, you know, if we think the economic um, impacts of COVID was significant, wait till, wait till foot of mouth comes. I'm, I'm generally worried. But even the people that aren't involved in partialism, you know, someone in the city like, I think we estimated the initial impact of foot of mouth in Australia to be somewhere like $60 billion. So, you know, it's going to have ripple on effects. And, you know, we've got a country of Australia where um, I think it was, uh, what was it, Harvard School of Economics dissected all their, the world's economies about three or four years ago. And, uh, you know, as far as diversity and innovation, Australia sat between Angola and Mozambique, I think, like two African nations, like number 92. We have two things that we export out of Australia, mining and agriculture. So I think for Australia, how do we get, you know, one of these diseases in our agricultural sector, you know, that's, that's 50% of our GDP, you know, one of our really big players in this country totally, you know, wiped off the map. I think it's going to be, yeah, it's not going to be pretty for us. I guess the difference between us and, say, North America is I always remember um, when I lived in the States and, and having done biosecurity at university in Australia is that if, and there has been a few random little, no, it must, I always used to get mad cow and foot and mouth disease um, mm-hmm. mixed up. Not They're very different diseases, yes. but because of the acronyms, just because yeah, there's yeah, three-letter yeah. acronyms. Now, would it be mad cow that there's been a handful of cases yep. in America? Okay. Yep. So I guess obviously that one's very different. So foot and mouth is actually passed animal to animal, uh, mad cow or BSE, bovine, spongiform, encephalopathy. There you go. I can't BSE. say that word. Encephalopathy. Yeah, yep. well, I know that. I did. I did. Um, you smashed it. I did. Uh, uh, animal epidemiology at the oh. University of Queensland, not as a degree, as a unit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love yeah. that class. I also did um, biosecurity, yep. biometeorology, which is how animals interact with the climate, mm-hmm. and grain marketing because we also got to know how to sell some wheat, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so that one though, the uh, mad cow is not passed from animal to animal. It's it's sort of like eating animal products. Yeah, yep. yeah. They're you know and from in, what they and ingest. for humans as well. Yes, Kruensky's disease or whatever it is. Yep. But I always remember that the the difference between Australia and America is is that if something gets into America like that and they've got to do one of these big campaigns and shoot everything out, the saying is America can eat its way out of a problem. We can't. There's enough of a population in America with what they produce. They can eat themselves out of a problem. There's, mm. We can't eat ourselves no. out of this kind of a problem. No. Like if something can, like it gets into Australia, it's not like, okay, we've got to kill everything and then we can eat it within some, you know, like it's just not. Yeah. We can't. And it is um, for something that could be – I don't know if we're all just so desensitised after COVID, even before COVID. I, feel, I mean, everybody's so um, – like I like you get that uh, – what do they call it? Like some kind of um, like empathy fatigue or empathy burnout or whatever or, you know, like you just stop kind of giving a shit. Mm. Like Complacency. I'll be, yeah, yeah, I'll be honest. Like, like you just – you stop giving a shit about COVID now. You hear something and you're like, oh, yeah, whatever. I don't care. I just don't yeah. care. I don't care. Yeah. And I don't know if we're like, oh, yeah, global pandemic, people are dying, whatever. If we're going to get something with them when animals are dying, like, whatever. We can handle We handle COVID. Mm. And I don't think we are, like, for the bulk. But I, to be honest, I just don't think it's something that's on the average Australian's radar because, like you said, it's not a it's footballer away. scandal. It's not a married at first sight person launching a new podcast. Yeah. Um, it's not a – I mean, maybe we need to make an OnlyFans account with some subliminal messaging in there about foot and mouth disease. Like, yeah. Dr. Cozzy, oh, my God. <laughs> 
We're talking uh, about how vets don't get pe- paid enough. Maybe you should have an OnlyFans <laughs> account. Oh, we want people to be uh, pro-vets, not against them. Gosh, that'd be horrible. That would be, you could do like little <laughs> sexy dances, but yeah. also they could also be quite educational at the same time. You could be like shimming, yeah. like with no shirt on, and then be like, foot and mouth is coming yeah. to Australia. We're all going to be fucked. <laughs> like, yep, foot and mouth. Yeah, well, mouth, there's innuendos there. 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Oh, my God, yeah, you could be like yeah. putting, oh, anyway, this is... <laughs> <laughs> but no, we put a we put a jovial tone to the end of it, and yeah, I just um, well, it is terrifying. I mean, I, is it also? I guess when something is so scary, you just bury your head in the freaking sand and be like, nope, you know, there's people on committees and boards and and fancy government departments, and I'm just gonna close my eyes and la 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 and let them deal with it. Like we like kind of, I guess a lot of people do mm. with COVID. We're just going to let somebody high at the top deal with it. Mm. And as long as we wear our masks and wash our hands and that's fine. And, and to be honest, it's not going to be enough though. No, so no. I think, it, I think it's just complacency. And I don't think Australia's really felt the brunt, you know, of an exotic disease outbreak, you know, like the United States. Ha- we haven't yeah, had a food no. crisis in our lifetime. No, the United no States. No one's been have, hungry. Yeah. As you said, the US have experienced some, uh, some mad care. We yeah. haven't. We've been very lucky for a very long time, and then that's where it becomes rather than a you know it's a it's a yeah it's a privilege, not a right. And I think we've started to get a few of those things uh, messed around. And look, I, I really hope that we don't see it, but we are genuinely as a veterinary community um, actively talking about you know we're getting the troops ready, and this is the big thing. And even one of our national newspaper uh, media. Um, uh, groups in Australia said, you know, we, we don't have enough vets in Australia to mount a, um, a response. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's worrying. It's very sobering. Yes. I don't know how we, um, how we finish this then. I mean, I don't, I feel like we need to say a little bit more so we're not finishing on the OnlyFans yeah, note. I, I think, you know. So, so what can people listening do? Especially, I suppose, well, maybe we should just be really explicit. Uh, with our, with the discussion on foot and mouth disease. How is it? Okay. It's in Indonesia right now. Mm. Big body of water between us and Indo. If it gets to Australia, please let that be an if, not a when. How is it going to get here? And how is, um, you know, what can we be doing as lay people out and about in the community, gone to Bali, gone to Indo, gone overseas on travels, whatever? What can we be doing to, or have I just asked you a really loaded question? No, no, not at all. Like, um, you know, what if, okay, if we're going abroad to, to places like Bali, uh, you know, it is in Indonesia. So it's probably in West Papua. It's probably in PNG. And, you know, there's not much between us and Australian sovereign, sovereignty there. So we call that area the MPA, the Northern Peninsula area. Very risky area, but people coming back, you know, from those, those tourist destinations. Uh, any, anywhere, uh, abroad, you know, make sure you, you collaborate with any of our border security staff and get your boots washed, get your gear washed, you know, it is really easily, uh, easily brought in on, on, on items on yourself. Um, uh, so that's one thing we can do. If you're out and about, you know, like we're, you know, we probably do, you know, rangers stocking. Stock inspectors, you know, ringers, state, you know, station people, you know, you might, oh, I'm just a ride in the grader or a bull. But, you know, if we're starting to see weird clinical signs, you know, in livestock, they're just like, man, that isn't right. You know, like just send the flare up, you know, get us out. So for anybody, I suppose, listening that is on a property in Northern Australia, uh, don't ask me to do the acronym, the NABS network. NABS, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So Northern is Australia that- Biosecurity, yep. And what, what does the S stand for? 
Oh, is it biosecurity? Yeah, biosecurity. Oh yeah. my god, Doctor Kevin know. Bell, please don't hate me. <laughs> I get the I get the newsletter every month yeah, and I yeah, read yeah. it. Um, we've got our we've got our little Zoom meeting in a couple of weeks to talk about our our response. But you know, it's it's detection that's going to be really important. You know, once we detect it, you know, let's look at the timeline. We've then got to get a sample. Then we've got to send that sample to a laboratory. Then we've got to find you know, and that can take a couple of days. Then we've got to find out, well, what strain of foot and mouth do we have? So once we find out which strain of foot and mouth we have, we've then got to call the vaccine bank in the United Kingdom because we're not allowed to have the vaccine bank here because we don't have it in Australia, so we're not allowed to keep it in our labs in case it's spilled out. So then we've got to call the lab, the vaccine bank in the UK that just sort of sits there ready to go and spring into action to go, we have this strain of disease, can you manufacture it? So there's another weight. And then it's got to get put on a on an aircraft and sent here. Then it's going to be distributed out to veterinary teams and, and stuff to, you know, either, you know, vaccinate barriers to try and stop it, but there'll be a lot of culling getting done. So, you know, but that's the sooner we pick it up, the sooner that those those steps can sort of initiate and get going. It's it's it takes time. So obviously not all our listeners have livestock or in Northern Australia, but for any of those ones that are listening, I do highly recommend that you Google the NABS network, go on the website, find your, your representative because there is a lot of, um, subsidized testing and access to vets for this. There's even a program, um, Brains for Bucks where, I mean, you can get, um, postmortem kits from your vets so that if you're, you know, you see something out in the paddock that even if it's already dead, you can take samples, preserve them, get them tested. Um, you can get, well, not, it, they're not just going to buy lots of brains, but you know, we have to get a certain number of brains tested within Australia per year to, mm. for just regular monitoring, like basically just to see if anything's yeah. popping up. There are all these resources, um, that are available, but you know, making people aware of them is always, is always yeah. a big challenge. You know, it's very competitive to get five minutes of anyone's attention. So if you're listening, NAVS Network, uh, I think like, I don't know, current boss man, Dr. Kevin Bell out of WA, mm, but there's, of, yep. there's, um, there's vets or just across. your vets. Yeah. Yeah. Or just or contact talking, your local vet and they'll put you in vet, touch. You know, and, and if you are going, you know, oh, you know, you're getting those veterinary bills and there's travel and there is a preg test fee or whatever it is. You know, you're not just investing in that management decision, uh, decisions and data. Like you're getting us out and about to, you know, you might think, oh, I'm just getting someone out to geld a few colts and, and preg test a few heifers, but we might be there and, and we might be the one that goes, that is foot and mouth. It's here, right? Or even just that or, is pneumonia in yeah, your cattle. Yeah. Like there are, there are little, um, what do you call it? Case studies that come out in the newsletter every month and you'd be surprised how many, like, yeah, how yeah, much stuff a lot is of, actually going on. Like yep. no, nothing like super dramatic, like foot and mouth, but, there are things that, you know, people are, there are reports somebody lost, you know, 200 wieners or somebody just lost seven cows in the yards. You know, it, it's all, it's all numbers and extremes. So yeah, yeah, it's just, just some, get snake in touch and, with your vet. Yeah. And when you get in touch with them, be nice. Yeah, they be don't nice make very much money and they have <laughs> everyone else's emotional shit put on them. Yeah. So yeah, I don't want to make light of this situation. And that's probably a bit of a sassy way to say that, but. <laughs> No, Be nice. look, we we really do appreciate it, and you know I'm probably doing my brag. I was I was very fortunate to uh, talk about this issue on SBS <laughs> don't a couple I? of weeks ago, but <laughs> but the only reason I bring it up, I don't, I didn't want me to plant it, but it's more like I have had some people come into the consult room and go, "Hey, we saw you think, w- w- thank you so much," you know, or you know, "Are you okay?" And and yeah, it, it's only a couple of words, and it sounds really cliche and wanky, but. 
You're just like, thanks. Yeah, wow. That's, nah, that's it's great. all good. I just, this is just the SVS thing is something I like to give Cosy a bit of stick about, <laughs> which is why I laughed and you brought that up. So uh, no, we'll make sure we post that on our socials, but, um, I've got a bit of face for podcasts and I do for television. Oh, well, good thing we've been recording you on video then. Oh, shit. <laughs> yep. So thank you for coming on, Cosy. And I guess we'll make sure we put some links in the show notes if people want to look for more information, but, if we could sum it up, vets um, don't make as much money as you think. Uh, under a bit of pressure. Under a fair bit of pressure. Just buy buy security's pretty like vulnerable yeah, at the just, moment. Just be a bit nicer um, to them and, yeah, we're all kind of on a knife's edge. Yeah, and let's all just be the change that we want to see. So um, I hope to. I hope my my yarn today hasn't been too, uh, too ranty, but um, I, I do really appreciate, you know, you being nice to someone and saying, you know, that just one supportive comment or holding back might make the difference for one of my colleagues and, and, and we may have saved a life from this uh, this small little recording and, and that means a lot. So oh. thank you. Okay, sorry, yeah, I just totally realised. Um, we will put links in the show notes as well if you are, whether you are a vet or any other profession, person, human, whatever you identify as in the world, um, for support services in the show notes as well because obviously yeah. for people listening this is possibly brought up some stuff yeah. and to all our vets out there, we love you. You do an Thank amazing you. job. Um, it's not your fault you're so expensive. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> See, that's the kind of narrative we need to stop <laughs> with, guys. Yeah. Uh, you do a pretty bloody hard job. You can't even speak the same language as your patient so that makes your job even even all that more harder and we thank you for everything you do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.